guest is uh, a writer and uh, soon to be author, uh, but also a social commentator and philosopher of sorts. But he's uh, well versed in a lot of things, uh, not least of all metaphysics and social commentary, and also looking at some of these complex events, which are multi-layered events. And his name is Jay Dyer from Jay's Analysis. He's joining us on the live link from uh, somewhere in Kentucky. Florida presently. Florida. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Say hi to Marco Rubio for me and uh, Jeb Bush. But um, thanks for joining us, Jay. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the live uh, conversation we had with Robert Singer before, but um, the... The, the subject was San Bernardino, and, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about, among other things, Jay, is that there's this situation that we have with this event and so many events like it and things that you've written about, things that I've written about, things questions that we've brought up and asked. And what happens if new evidence comes to light that would radically alter the official narrative of one of these seminal pop icon culture events, active shooter events, or terrorist events, you know, whether it be 9-11 or San Bernardino or anything in between, that are, is the media, is society willing to take the new information and if are they willing to basically reevaluate, to reform the official story, the narrative, or will the media just cast it aside does society want to cast aside new information? In other words, there's so many murder cases, Jay, I can't count how many crimes, murder cases, where new evidence has come up that has gotten people off death row, for instance, or has made certain what, what the old story rendered it completely false, and they had to revise the story. But with all of the high-profile events, like a terrorist event or a mass shooting event, this seems to be off-limits. In terms of, you know, uh, wanting to, you know, reevaluate the event based on new information or the desire to find new information. This is, this is where I think where we're at as a society. I wanted to get your take on this because what does this say about the state of our culture, the state of society, if those sort of things might be off limits? Well, we live in a society of, uh, diligently informed citizens, so all that we have to do is find the information, verify it empirically with our senses, take it to the proper channels and authorities, and everything, all the uh, wrongs will be righted. That's all we have to do, and that's what I'm joking. No, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to change, because we don't live in a society where that's actually what's going on on the ground. We don't have informed citizens. That's, I don't think, really ever existed per se it's always really just been the, the management of perception amongst the masses and I, I took a lot of notes i did hear the previous conversation I, I thought there were a lot of really good insights in that talk um most of which dealt with the actual mechanics of these kinds of operations go down and your insight your comments were very insightful as well i particularly like the point you made about counterintelligence and how that seems to function with both uh, the leak itself, the supposed secret information, as well as protecting the rear guard, and how the leak itself isn't really a big deal, but rather it's the overarching intention of those who might do the leak 
to frame public opinion in a certain way. So I think you guys really, really hit on some key information there. And that is the overarching pattern in all of these events, particularly the numerous events that we saw in 2015. 2015 was really, uh, you know, mega charged with all of these kinds of daily shooters and terror events it was it was like nothing we've seen before uh, as you and sean said in your excellent article covering 2015 and i think that the if we think about back to 9 11 I, I like the point that singer made about the jerry lee Loftner shooting and that event and i have studied that event uh, uh pretty closely and what we see there is the you, you mentioned that you hadn't looked at it but it made me think about uh gun control was a big part of that narrative and that that's really what started off the mass shooter phenomena the last uh you know several years so what we saw there was drills as well and you can't forget the predictive programming aspect of that which i think is a big key uh, because there was a gray's anatomy episode that fe- that featured a if i recall a senator shot or, or a congresswoman shot uh the name was very similar to giffords uh, maybe a few letters off much like we saw with the Oklahoma City bombing, the Murrah building, and Tim McVeigh and Martin Keating's novel, right? Uh, the Final Jihad, which features Tim McVeigh, and he gets pulled over for a missing license plate. The real supposed event being uh, Tom McVeigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the, so it, we saw the same thing with Giffords. We saw this uh, pre-scripting in uh, an episode of Grey's Anatomy before the event, and then with Jared Lee Loftner, all the same, uh, you know, patterns of the, the the phony shooter, in my view, phony. But what I also liked about what you talked about was the the fact that, in my view, what's going on in these multi-level, multi-layered operations is that a lot of times it probably is a person like the Sarnia brothers, right, who, who may be working for some uh, agency at some capacity, but their level of knowledge is probably compartmentalized. Uh, so they are being used in a larger uh, operation uh, probably given misinformation probably believing that you know they're going to work for some agency to infiltrate radical islam you talked about the channel program right and uh, yeah. where in, in the uk and what these operations probably do is bring in somebody who's uh, able to be used in some capacity and then you have larger architects of the operations that uh you know control what's going on with the media control what's going on with the internet and you probably do have fake leaks of, uh, of you know, situations of uh, the date being wrong on, uh, you know, Adam Lanz or something like that. Probably is staged. But you also have a lot of people out there who are doing uh, independent research who get things wrong, right? So it's not always a psyop. There's a lot of different factors, and it's, you know, difficult to verify all of these, of course, if you're researching it. But long story short, uh, you know, we, we've entered into another dimension, right, like the... It's a multiverse, right? It's like this other level of uh, crazy psyops with these with these mass events, and that's really all that we can, in my view, all we can say that they are is, is large scale psychological operations. It does go back to JFK. Uh, in fact, there's tie-ins between you know Brady, the Brady Bill, oh yeah, and what, and what we saw with the headshot with, uh, with uh, that was the beginning of gun control in uh, with the Brady Bill and so forth, and then we see that with the Loftner event. Uh, with the trying to ramp up gun control, um, I don't agree totally that there's no gun control aspect to it. As you mm-hmm. and I have talked about, you know, there is this connection between both gun, man, you know, both sides of that, both wings of that bird, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, are uh, gaining traction on that, and it is a political wedge issue, and it's a way to uh, give people something to 
have a false dialectic uh, position on right or left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, where basically where there was no dialectical position before, like right. in terms of a dominant wedge issue. The the wedge issues are really important in America, and I don't think uh, people who are outside of America don't understand that uh, American uh, presidential elections, governments are won and lost based on these wedge issues, whether they be uh, you know gay marriage, prayer in schools, um, uh, abortion, or guns. Now it's gun- guns is now uh, officially a wedge issue. So that can be used to divide and to maneuver uh, large groups of people uh, and, ter- and align them with different political parties or factions, you know. So uh, it is important. It is it is huge, actually. One of these wedge issues can determine the course of the nation. Yes. In, in, in Supreme Court justices, to presidents, to uh, Congress and Senate, to war overseas, uh, believe it or not, can be decided on a wedge issue. And... Yeah, go ahead. It, well, I just it seems like 2015 was all about tying things into uh, identity politics, right? So even these mass shootings were so-called mass shooting events were all about identity politics and whether or not you were pro-Islam or anti-Islam. You know, yeah, no, yeah. no actual knowledge of different uh, versions of Islam, Sunni, Shia, and so forth, but rather just the prepackaged idea idea of the, you know the, the we got to bomb all them ragheads and we got to turn them you know hyping up the same thing that we've seen since nine eleven but a different which, version a different but a different version right yeah yeah and so so to get everybody to you basically have to come down on some side of that issue and that's the, that's how it's exactly the same as the Freddie Gray and uh, the Brown and all the shooting, the, those so-called events, those were all polarized into, you had to take this uh, racial side. You're either with the cops and you're, you're a white guy or you're with uh, the people, uh, you know, and, and you're, you're pro-black and there's no other options there. Uh, there's no, no, it's always that way, right? It's a, it's a feedback mechanism as well. It it's, a, it's a negative feedback mechanism. So I think rather that what, what the goal of 2015 seems to be overall was just to get people into uh, picking your, your your flavor of uh, the black or the white, uh, the, you know, the, the Islam or uh, pro or anti, uh, and, and you know, pro uh, gun or anti gun, and it, that way everybody's just sort of muddling around on the ground looking at uh, the, the these false choices when reality is much more complex than that. You know, what's really going on is that you have the, the, the whole entire military industrial complex and their arm of media, you know, running these operations to, to get us all, uh, well, chasing, uh, phantasms, chasing uh, phantoms and ghosts that aren't real issues. Uh, but I, I, I think too, it's important to point out that we had those missing planes issues. We had the German wings, which you and I did an interview on that. That was really good. And we, what we saw there is something that I haven't really seen anybody else pick out. In my view, is the connection between 9/11 and those events. So, we had missing planes on 9/11, and then we have all these missing planes supposedly in 2015, and then back in 2014 as well. Well, what's the connecting factor there? Well, both 9/11 and these events have supposedly mysteriously flying off course missing planes. Yes. Uh, so, in other words, that suggests to me uh, the same entities behind these events. And the the power to pull off uh, an event like like nine eleven uh, suggests a pattern of the same people pulling off these events. 
Sure. Yeah. So, so the the Carlisle Group, the Blackstone Group, uh, some of these large multinational conglomerates. But, but, but this is uh, when I say conglomerate, I mean car- conglomerate stroke cartel. You can have the, there's multiple players, agencies, multiple layers. There's the levels of deception between agencies. Uh, we have drills going live or, you know, live ammunition being inserted in a live, in a, what's supposed to be a blank drill. Uh, right. A Brandon Lee situation on mass, you know, um, this is also a possibility that we believe might be the case in San Bernardino. So a drill hijacked, for instance. You well, you could have a, yeah, you could have a, a like, say, FBI and different agencies or, or FEMA running a drill. And then you can have a private intelligence agency or you can have another agency or some foreign intelligence agency actually you know, doing something within, right, with a sort of yes. onion, ring, onion ring scenario. And that's yep. probably what goes on in these situations is, is something, some some sort of foreign intelligence group. So, uh, yeah, I, I think with the uh, Farouk and Tashfin, to me it looked like what, what I did right away was uh, capture a lot of the photos that the media released. And a lot of those photos didn't even look like the same people. Uh, the, the pictures of Farouk were uh, didn't seem to have consistency between them. The pictures of his wife, you know, she didn't look to be when they said she was twenty five. She looked like she was about forty five or fifty. Mm-hmm. So who knows where these these composite pictures come from? And this is another pattern that we saw with you know Adam Lanza. Uh, you know, he, half of his pictures look like they're composites. So we don't even yeah. know what you know what the, what the real scenario with these identity with, with these people are. But really. That's just put out there to give get everybody into that basic tribal identity politics mode of oh that's uh, that's all those uh, Muslims that, that do all that terror uh, and and I, I did see the interview that you mentioned of the guy from Care uh, Care of course has a lot of tenuous connections uh, a lot of intelligence sort of front shell uh, connections for money laundering and so forth for so called terror uh, so I thought that was as suspicious as me immediately as well um, the. A situation with uh, the uh, the claiming that that uh, Farouk was hiding things in his garage that was immediately on the news. So I don't know that I would put much stock in the person who claimed that he was hiding things in his garage. Mm-hmm. I watched the whole event live as it was going down, and and right away, you know, right after the event happened, there were people uh, ready to go on local news saying, uh, "Oh, I saw him uh, hiding stuff in his garage." So, so yeah. who knows where the person who claimed that you know actually got that sort of information. Uh, or who that anonymous person was to me looked like it was a bunch of uh, you know uh, the guy who was saying that on the news was you know like flat top guy wearing his you know special operations glasses walking around oh yeah I saw this guy had stuff in his garage Mm. So, so you, I, I, it's dubious to me just because somebody you know makes those kinds of claims. So you mentioned the Lanzas, okay? That that, that was interesting. So uh, the. the I'm moving over to Sandy Hook here. The the shooter uh, Adam Lanza, uh, alleged shooter in 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 many people's eyes. Um, so he, they name him as the gunman, and then immediately, uh, so they they Ryan Lanza. Who's well, first they said first they said Ryan uh, because uh, I followed that one as it was happening, and I found Ryan's Facebook profile immediately. Yeah, it lo- it didn't look real to me. It looked like you know it had only had had posts within the last you know few months. There was only a few pictures, uh, you know, only a few friends. Uh, then so, it suddenly it switched from Ryan Lanza to Adam. Oh, it's actually it was his brother. 
Yeah, no yeah. Facebook profile, no internet uh, footprint, and you know the the pictures literally look to be composites to me. The, the guys, it's like the bowl cut. Why does does every American shooter have to have a bowl cut? I mean, who has bowl cuts anymore, right? Right, <laughs> people who cut their own hair. Um, the Amish, the Amish shooting, or something. Well, I'll tell you who has uh, who has bowl cuts are people who had long hair who would then quickly need to cut their own hair. Um, would would have a bowl cut, but um, or their pictures from the nineties or eighties. Yeah, exactly. Which is also a possibility. So, but but that's toggling between Ryan and Adam Lanza, to, uh, throwing out two different uh, 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 people uh, assailants to confuse the public. This is like classic. If you look in uh, a U.S. Army Special Operations Manual for exactly information exactly. war, this is called gray propaganda. So yes. th- this gray propaganda is uh, uh, with it's a ama- it's basically how do we say okay making making enemies believe falsehoods by using straw arguments basically yeah, and you so, mix in a little truth right yeah so phase one would be to make someone believe that a adam lanza uh, uh is the assailant and then one then someone releases the gray propaganda that puts out ryan lanza and then which is the opposite of a so f- the phase two of that operation would be that b uh, ryan is is discredited using uh using a, the straw man tactic and that brings it back to verify adam as being the gunman which he wasn't so this is all basically mind games basically i think so and uh you know as, as you and i've said in, in past interviews these kinds of, of details are really i think just kind of put out there as uh, rabbit trails and red herrings that don't really lead anywhere because the, they're not they're not really concerned with people putting together the details because even if they do, you know, who's going to do internet researchers, mm-hmm. you know, look, look at, look at the Boston bombing. We had craft international there. Who's, you know, uh, if we can believe those photos that people dug up, uh, that's probably who was running that operation because that's what do they specialize in? Well, they specialize in crisis actors, uh, stage bomb scenarios, pyrotechnics, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of their specialties. And so, the Boston bombing has all these anomalies as well with, uh, you know, people, the, the backpack, let's not forget the, the prop that pops up in a lot of these events, the backpack, right? You always got to have the backpack. Uh, the backpack emerged in the Farouk shooting as well. And then these details are just forgotten, right? The three shooters are forgotten. The two guys in the woods at Sandy Hook, they're forgotten. Mm-hmm. The backpacks always get forgotten, right? They're all, there's not actually that big of a deal. These backpacks don't have bombs, but maybe they did. Who cares? So they don't even care, I don't think. I don't think they care about these kinds of details. You would think that if we live in a situation where trials happen and people, you know, really take these issues to court, uh, you know, and, if they're not show trials or whatever. And we saw an instance of that with uh, Dylan Roof being, you know, he, what, I've never seen somebody's arraignment uh, publicized on national TV. Right? We're watching Dylan Roof be arraigned and, and brought before the judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that happened with OJ. It started with OJ. But I think that that was a big part of, uh, you know, the psyop up of reality TV, turning, blending reality TV and fiction with, uh, news media, right? And so there's really just no border between that threshold. There's, there's no line between the threshold of, of fact and fiction, and that's the ultimate psyop. So you, you mentioned identity politics earlier. I'm going to play a, a, a clip. This is from, uh, this is from, I think it's from Britain. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're, they're running, uh, awesome. they, the, 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 
the website, uh, the government's launched a new website, Jay, which is basically, it's, uh, I'm calling it radicalization.com or .co.uk, but it's, this is a website where by people can, uh, parents can, uh, get information or report. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's basically a government run website, uh, which is about managing children who are potentially being radicalized. And I think they've got 400 people in the program, uh, kids that have been basically tapped by the government as potentially radical, uh, specifically Islamic. So this gets into that identity politics uh, point that you made earlier. Go ahead and, if we can, uh, Hesher, roll this clip, number audio clip five, and listen closely to this report. It's very revealing. British government Go has launched a new website aimed at battling what it calls the spell of twisted ideologies. On the site, parents and teachers can find advice on how to identify signs of radicalization in youths. The first sign is argumentativeness or aggression. Another alarm bell is a change in clothing. And as the UK government points out, you should also be worried if your child wants to join an extremist organization. The government has drawn up another leaflet for parents. It says that if children start to mistrust the mainstream media and show anger towards the government, it could be time to worry. Meanwhile, hundreds of children have been referred to a UK government de-radicalization program in the last four years. With more, here's Artie Anastasia Cherkina. This uh, so-called de-radicalization of children issue is back in the spotlight in the UK yet again and typically not without controversy. What we do know is, according to numbers obtained by the British media from the National Police Chiefs Council, as many as 415 children aged 10 and under, as well as over 1,400 children at the ages of 18 to 15, have been referred to this British government's de-radicalization program over the last four years in England and Wales. And sadly and curiously, uh, what often spurs these referrals are simple mistakes and slips of the tongue. One kid got in trouble for using the term eco-terrorism. Another 10-year-old Muslim boy recently was questioned by police because he wrote he lives in a terrorist house instead of a terrorist house. According to the British government, this is a productive program. What we heard from the Home Office was the following. Quote, as a country, we have a duty to challenge at every turn the twisted narrative that has exploited some of our vulnerable young people. And, of course, this scheme and issue rages much wider. We do know that uh, last summer the British government introduced the so-called Prevent Duty Program, where schools and the NHS and people working there have the obligation to report anybody who they deem to be potentially vulnerable to extremism. And this is certainly something that raises concerns about how far is too far and how much children can be marginalized and eventually how soon will British schools uh, essentially be turned into spy zones? Okay, so uh, let me just uh, cut that. So that that, <laughs> that was, uh, listen, if they launched that program in Ireland, they'd be like inundated with, because in Ireland, like it's a, a tourist country. So they, when, the, when the Irish say tourist, they say tourist. So tourist means tourist and terrorist means terrorist. So terrorist <laughs> is both tourist and terrorist. So they'd have, I don't know how many millions of people if they're tapping people's phones for this program. I mean, be out of control, but th 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 did you hear that? So anyone, who, anyone, any child who shows distrust of mainstream media, I hear Ted Cruz and, and presidential candidates 
decrying the mainstream media on national TV. So, so are they terrorists as well? You know, it's unbelievable how far this is going. Well, uh, how preposterous is that? I mean, London is sort of the epicenter of radical Islam uh, in terms of those that are run by intelligence agencies. I mean, if, if Londonistan really wanted to deal with radical Islam, why do they house the blind sheik and Shaudri and all of these dubious characters and mm-hmm. guys with patches over their eyes and hooks on their hands? <laughs> well, well, what's interesting, Jay, is that we, you know, when I was researching the channel project and I looked at the time when they implemented it and how there's actually a precursor to that program. I don't have the name, but with a lot of these programs, you'll find that there were other versions of the program before, and then they've just been uh, updated. But Muhammad Mwazi, uh, Jihadi John, would have, would have been of, of the, of the right age at the time, uh, would have been a candidate for this program. So are these programs to catch radicals or to create radicals? That's the question. Yeah, it's a, if that creates an early profile. And hey, maybe we can uh, maybe we can stick this guy in a drill down the road, right? Sure, or try you know, or make him a, a video star, like yeah, right, 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 Johnny, right. yeah, like Johnny John or whatever his name is. Um, so that's well, that's but yeah. that's that's the key thing that that people still have not gotten through their heads that you would think it would start dawning by now. Mm-hmm. It's just that the the establishment absolutely loves and goes full orgasmic over radical Islam. For all of their talk about, uh, you know, wanting to stop terror, their BFF forever and ever and ever is the Wahhabist, is the radical Islamist, uh, because they run the terror. And that we, we saw that with all, this was the year of ISIS, I guess you could say, ultimately, right? If we didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it, with the Paris attacks and, the, and these, uh, which I think also was a staged event for the most part, uh, what we saw there was once again the the as you said ISIS goes international right so that now the terror threatens every aspect of the globe mm-hmm. uh, supposedly could be anywhere although it's not going to be places like Israel right yeah um, we we've, we've seen that even in the mainstream media been admitted uh, ISIS is not going to attack Israel and uh, ISIS even talks about how they don't want to attack Israel but Iran is supposedly more of a threat yeah. than Israel would be. Yeah, they won't attack Turkey, uh, Jordan, or Israel for some reason. That's because that's where they're, yeah, home base, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's, uh, so actually speaking of, speaking of, uh, B, BF, did you say BFF or BBF? BFF. That's okay. forever. <laughs> oh, bet, B, okay, BFF. So, uh, David Cameron's BFF is the Saudi royal family. It, uh, yeah, he loves the, the, Jihadi John, they probably have cocktails together. So roll roll audio clip number eight. Listen to this this report. This will prove where we're coming from here. Go ahead. The UK's arms supplies to Saudi Arabia have been surging to unprecedented levels. In recent months, missile sales alone have skyrocketed by an overwhelming 11,000%. The spike comes amid Riyadh's military campaign in Yemen, which has sparked a storm of criticism over the vast number of civilian deaths. William Whiteman picks up the story. The figures show sales of British weaponry to Saudi Arabia reaching over one billion pounds in just three months in 2015, an increase of 11,000% compared to the nine million sales mark reached during the previous three-month period. We contacted the UK government regarding the issue and got this response. We regularly raise with Saudi Arabian-led coalition and the Houthis the need to comply with international humanitarian law in Yemen. 
We monitor the situation carefully and have offered the Saudi authorities advice and training in this area. This advice and training reportedly also includes UK military personnel helping to target Saudi coalition bombing runs in Yemen, according to the Saudi foreign minister. And all of this is taking place amid claims that the UK government and its advisers are warning the leadership that Britain could be prosecuted for war crimes over its involvement in the conflict. Meanwhile, the number of civilian casualties keeps rising. Okay. All right. So, well, so that that pretty much says it all. And uh, right. and we hear these calls out of uh, Saudi Arabia is now making noises that they they want to. Uh, uh, and we need to stamp out uh, 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 terrorism. <laughs> you know, they're gonna yeah, right. they're gonna lead the they're leading the charge apparently and trying to. Uh, get rid of the terrorists well, it's even it's even mainstream british media that saudi arabia is the world's number one uh, funding agency for terror right yeah 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 all right so uh you would think that given the fact that the charlie hebdo incident was supposedly connected to yemen uh that uh saudi arabian support in uh, yemen for terror would be uh, on somebody's plate or somebody's would make an issue of this uh you know how how difficult is it to figure this out yeah aqap al-qaeda in the arabian peninsula uh supported by saudi uh arguably saudis some of their boots on the ground uh right now in yemen or aqap you know so but not wanting to make that connection instead in america what they'll say is the number one sponsor of state terror is is iran in the world so, but I'm looking for the Iranian terror cells, and I just can't find them. You know, I don't even. I, I'm, well, they tried one of those uh, a couple of years ago, right? The, the Iranian terror attack, if you remember that, but that one kind of flopped. Oh, was that the used car salesman yeah. assassination yeah. attempt of uh, of the Saudi ambassador in New York? Yes, that was an amazingly tall tale uh, <laughs> that they wove there. And so it was a, a dodgy used car salesman who had dual Iranian nationality. Uh, and, and uh, apparently, the, I think the FBI was involved <laughs> in that one. I think uh, on some level. So, well, if Iran is so bad, why, why did the uh, CIA have such uh, close ties to the Sabak? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this. Well, well we we're very close to Iran, and uh, and I don't want to get into that story. And have been right. Yeah, I mean, uh, arguably, the Ayatollah Khomeini came into swept mm-hmm. into power with the help of uh, at least British intelligence. Um, right. and, and French intelligence. So I don't know the rest of well, the rest of stories for another uh, another segment. But um, oh, and by the way, M- you said MH370. You invoked the missing planes, and so I have to roll audio clip seven. Some new news came out this morning. They found a piece of wreckage on a beach in Thailand. They don't know exactly what it is, but it could be. We're told anyway from MH370. Roll audio clip seven. Listen, also want to let you know that officials may have discovered another piece of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. A fisherman found a large piece of curved metal on the southern Thai coast Friday. Uh, the Thai Civil Aviation Department is dispatching air accident investigators to the site tomorrow. Malaysia's transport minister says it's too early to speculate about whether the debris is from the missing plane. MH370, remember, disappeared off radar in 2014. It was flying from Malaysia to Beijing at the time with 239 people on board. Another piece of debris was found last year on Reunion Island. So, so, so how how can it be on Reunion Island and also in Thailand? You know, two opposite ends of uh, 
of, of Africa and Asia. Well, you, you had such great comments this year about, uh, who was it, Quest? Richard Quest, yeah. Yeah, right, Richard Quest, and uh, he, he was leading, leading, playing point guard on that uh, early baloney story, which these are just made up. I mean, the flapper on, yeah. The these pe- are just completely made up stories. Yeah, so they found a, a, a flapper on. The flapper on could be from MH3. In fact, it is from M. It can only be from MH370, and this should put the sleeping dogs to rest, you know. Um, and so uh, here we have, again, CNN. Uh, in other networks, uh, revi- trying to revitalize the story with a piece of garbage that washed up on the shore. And again, it's just leading us along this unsolvable mystery. So it's kind of like the JFK scenario, uh, an indefinite uh, unsolved mystery, basically. Yeah, and I think it's probably just all made up. The whole, the wreckage stories are completely staged, made up, uh, to, and, it, and by the way, we saw the, the villainization, the demonization of, of Russia was consistent this year, uh, even to the point of, uh, you know, fake FSB defectors coming to the CIA and saying that Russia is who runs ISIS, right, in the terror. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Completely preposterous. Right. And so the Litvinenko story, I mean, it, that, that doesn't, get, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Oh, and uh, isn't that interesting that uh, I should mention that it's Soros who publish, uh, the, publishes the book that accuses Putin of doing that. Uh, and it's uh, the book is b- written by Litvinenko's uh, supposed wife. Oh, okay. uh, but it's but it's openly Soros's publishing company that puts that book out. Amazing. So, yeah. So anyone who thinks that she's not uh, an intelligence operative, um, you'd be very naive to assume that. It, to assume that, but I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, that's in that's got a double entendre that story uh, with this sort of uh, you got the the, the nuclear uh, assassination with the radiation a, poisoning, rate, and plus the pedophile the pedophile uh, back end of the story. Well, I saw an article t- today that was uh, I forget who wrote it, but uh, that was pointing out that it was actually. The UK that has uh, more to worry about with uh, with, with Litvinenko than anyone else. So, yeah, the tie into the the pedo stuff I think is much more plausible than anything uh, relating to Putin. Yeah. So, but it, again, it was like an obscure blog post that if it, it should have been like bombshell information back in two thousand five, and yet they buried it, and it just yeah. appears now, ten years later. If it was such um, if it was such earth shaking news. How come it didn't make mainstream coverage at the time? It seems like just a, a, an artifact that's been inserted into uh, a political inquiry, really. Right, right. Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought. by the way, I should uh, point out that the Sunday Wire in 2015 was excellent. I heard pretty much every episode of the Sunday Wire. And I thought you gave uh, phenomenal breakdowns. I'm not just tooting your horn, but uh, of all of the just outrageous events that we saw in 2015 i thought your breakdowns were, were, were pretty much top-notch stellar breakdowns and i guess we could say this is the year of isis in the plane mm. yeah well it, it, so yeah isis was was uh thank you for the uh, uh props by the way but isis was the the virtual isis was 2014 and mm-hmm. then isis became from for the west anyway for america and europe isis became tangible uh in 2015 so the, the horror came home so to speak like you said earlier um but yeah so that's pretty significant in terms of uh the social engineering aspect to it because at the end of the day this is what 
this is what it is. I think the identity politics point that you brought up is absolutely important because uh, this is huge. In terms, if you think about the clash of civilization uh, um, narrative, I forgot which uh, author. Um, it's Bernard Lewis, is Bernard the British Lewis. writer who first did it, and then Samuel Huntington did, did the American neocon version of it. So, so from Bernard, so okay, so from Bernard Lewis till today, till so from let's do a little mindscaping. So how how is how is it to to come this far? Is 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 not the last two years an extraordinary leap forward in the world? You know, in the mind of a Bernard Lewis, like you couldn't have achieved that level of the clash of civilizations uh, back then as with, with with the help of digital media and everything else today isn't that extraordinary it is extraordinary and we have to keep in mind that the neoconservative approach which is what we are under whether it's uk or whether it's the us that's the dominant paradigm even if it's obama it's still the neoconservative model especially for foreign policy even if the approach might differ we have to keep in mind that that's the neo trotsky uh, approach, right? So the, the neoconservatives, back to William Crystal, they borrowed the Trotskyite model of how you would do propaganda. And that's exactly what we see, right? So, and I'm not saying that we're under a communist so-called system. It's not really communism or anything like that. It's rather something beyond that. It's something more than that. It's just sort of pure pragmatic power politics that's not uh, attached to any ideology per se, except uh, roughly, I guess you could say, the neoconservative ideology. And that's what uh, you know Cameron represents and, and uh, the same situation in the UK. And the EU is not immune to this either. It's just a, a little more of a socialist flavor uh, of this same approach. And that's, what, well, that's why uh, you know Soros, the National Endowment for Democracy, it's all about spreading democracy, but it's not that's not really what it is, right? That's always been the, the front for the, for the empire is to, to spread democracy. Uh, but it's all done through the neo-Trotskyite, uh, neoconservative approach of, to propaganda. And then mm-hmm. and what, what you're outlining with the, the gray propaganda and all that, that's all straight out of that playbook. Yeah, the, well, the gray propaganda and the, the white propaganda, the black propaganda, all these things are basically tools in the tool chest, as it yes. were, to, yeah. to get from A to B with any, any specific event or narrative. Perpetual tension, perpetual warfare. There, there's a, a book that Trotsky wrote on uh, perpetual tension, uh, perpetual, perpetual warfare, never-ending warfare, and that applies to PSYOPs, too. So you have to constantly agitate. You know, you've, you've talked a lot about agitprop in different shows and how so many of these events would be followed by the agitprop. And this was people that we see like Pamela Geller, Glenn Beck, right? These are the, uh, you know, the so-called Christian Zionist types who come on after the event to mm-hmm. agitate, right? And to yeah. rile up different sectors or niches of their audiences that, that might, that, uh, the, the so-called Bible Belt type. Because it's interesting, I, I, I hear, I listen to uh, talk radio uh, some evenings uh, when I'm driving, and uh, and always hear them. They're repeating the same things every day, basically uh, for months on end. And it's like, and then you hear the politicians chiming in too. And now they're all talking about national security with the presidential candidates, and they're, you know, we need to, def- we don't need to uh, to contain ISIS. We need to defeat ISIS, and it's ISIS, ISIS, ISIS. Now, if you look at a map of the Middle East, or if you've ever, if you've been lucky enough to do any traveling in the region, yeah, the, the, ISIS is around. But we're, I mean, we're talking it's about not a state, as you it's not, out. It's, it's not, not a yeah. state, and we're talking about we're talking about between fifteen and twenty thousand. 
individuals, okay? Mer- mer- mercenary sand pirates. Right? Mercenary sand pirates in a sea of millions and millions and millions of people uh, at the at the conjunction of you know a dozen nation states and with with large standing armies all around driving their driving their American uh, made or their their American uh, Toyotas or, or I guess they were shipped from maybe yeah maybe they're maybe they're, they're riding their. Uh, uh, riding around wearing their, uh, uh, you know, America. Didn't they? They had uh, drops that uh, came to them from yeah. from the West, right? Uh, tactical gear and uh, digital filming cam- on their Hollywood set, right? Yeah, and uh, dr- driving a pickup says Bob's Plumbing from like Amarillo, Texas. <laughs> I saw that. That was kind of funny. Um, but 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 it's this idea that ISIS is this um, great existential threat. And yes, ISIS is a, a threat to some degree, but it's not nearly uh, a, a th- to threaten the existence of the United States, I think, is beyond uh, ridiculous. But yet, this reminds me, Jay, this is like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm in the movie Starship Troopers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The, the Robert Heinlein story is, uh, is somewhat satirical in the, in the film version that Paul Verhoeven did. It, he retained that that satire. We we do live in a satire, and that's also something that stands out from 2015. In fact, I was thinking about over the uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, dinners. Uh, both, uh, you know, I had several family gatherings to go to, and all I heard about was ISIS. So they achieved the effect of you know making sure that that's what everybody talked about over their holiday breaks and dinners. And, you know, the, the level of the discourse is, is still no different than it was back in 9-11, unfortunately. Mm. Well, it, you know, and I'll, I'll round out with this. Um, the, this, is, this is from the Running Meat Institute, which is no, no longer, uh, I think they, they wound down their operation in England. But uh, I have a few other articles on my website from 2010. And they said, if one were to ask, if one were to ask, which attribute makes good citizens? The natural modern answer is the same as anywhere in recorded time. It's dependent on where you live, who you live with, and under what conditions, making both sides of the argument redundant. And so I found this to be a very interesting passage because if you think about, uh, you know, we're all, we're all sort of uh, trying to be good citizens, as it were, uh, whether we're American or, or European citizens or wherever you're from, and uh, do our little duty and do our, all of, perform all the things that we need to perform to be considered a good citizen. Um, and then you have this sort of compartmentalization based on identity politics right now. And it's, it's amazing through time, Jay, this is my point here, is that we're, we are the same people through time, but the political overlay is just radically changing from uh, generation to generation. It changes the way people look at themselves and not just the way society looks at itself, but it's, I think it's, it, this is the cultural machine, isn't it? It's powerful. Yeah, the culturing, culture industry, uh, which gives you the overlay for how you interpret your, uh, the phenomenon of experience and uh, 2015 also saw the introduction of gender politics, which is another, on a whole new level, right, which is another aspect of identity politics with the uh, completely preposterous Caitlyn gender uh, situation oh, yeah. where where yeah. now uh, gender is a, is a deciding factor in these kinds of issues such that it, at the same, the great contradiction in that is that uh, while gender is supposed to be a social construct, 
uh, it's also something that a woman can uh, freely choose to get rid of or uh, a man can freely choose to uh, become a woman. Yeah, at the same time, it's supposed to not matter. It's a social construct. So that, that right there, I think, shows the great contradiction of our era, but it also shows the ability of the social engineers to take us to new heights of absurdity where outright contradic- contradictions exist right in front of us, um, yet we, we go along with it, unfortunately. Can I also plug, I'd like to say, too, that, uh, you know, uh, I offer uh, philosophy courses, so if you would go to Jay's Analysis, you can uh, sign up there for my philosophy talks, and they are once a week, and they're four ninety five a month if you're listening to this and you like what I've said. Okay, so that's Jay's Analysis. There's a link to Jay's website. It's on our show page right now. You just click on that, and it takes you straight to his website, and then you can learn more about some of this stuff. Um, I mean, I, I could get into the, uh, I think it was Will Smith, uh, his son, J- Jaden Smith, is uh, leading the gender fluid movement right now. Right. Yeah, and Miley has jumped on that as well, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, the gender fluid movement. And uh, and I think the parents think it's wonderful, and I'm sure he's a wonderful boy. Uh, but then we have his mother. Um, gosh, I, we're gonna. I'm going to punch a little bit over time for a minute here, okay? His mother, Jaden Pinkett Smith, who's Will Smith's wife, She's boycotting the, leading the boycott of the Oscars because there's not enough black representation, uh, in the, I guess the, the, the awards and the nominees, and this is hugely controversial and so forth. And, uh, now my, isn't it, yeah, isn't it, inter- I'm sorry, isn't it interesting that Stacey Dash, who's, uh, half black, half white, pointed out that, why, what about BET having white people? <laughs> Well, yeah, you could say <laughs> you could say that. But last uh, last year's Oscar, they had a huge. I mean, half the Oscar uh, award ceremony was a, a reenactment of Selma, Alabama, right. and Oprah Winfrey was there, and it was just uh, you know a great celebration of uh, civil rights uh, and absolutely uh, African American culture and politics was represented there. But um, so. Uh, my here's my question. I mean, I won't play the news clip because kind of we all know what the story is. But so if if I was to lobby and I was to say that um, we need more white people in the NBA, like there should be a quota system. Like every team should have like the NBA rosters in basketball should reflect the population. So should yeah. be eighty percent white. 20% black and do this by law because that's only fair because everyone needs to be represented and we need more Mexicans in the NBA, right? And, uh, well, we need, uh, we need midgets and we need people in wheelchairs in the NBA too. Why, why should there be a wheelchair league? That's right. Sure. It's not fair. You know, why should, why should it just be LeBron James and all the people who are privileged to be born with, uh, healthy and uh you know six foot eight that's not fair because i'm only five foot nine jay so why should i have to um it's not fair that i'm playing against lebron james who's six foot nine uh, 260 pound freight train okay uh he can hurt me if i if i try to take a charge well, the, in the lane the, the simple solution to that is that the state should mandate surgeries to make everyone the same height and it's not only that it's the ageism that upsets me jay because you know i'd like to play in the nba and i'm 40 i'm 45 
So uh, I want to play in the NBA. It's not fair that they're discriminating against me because of my age. I want to go try out for uh, the Golden State Warriors, and they're not allowing me to try out because I'm too old, I'm too short. Uh, maybe I'm, I don't shoot very well anymore. Well, you've got mad ups, though. You've got some mad ups, Patrick. I know. i got good ups, but i got a dodgy ankle as well. That's a problem. <laughs> but, but no, so, but isn't it ridiculous? You know, because if you look at the NBA, to me, in my opinion, I've seen sports leagues all over the world, and the NBA is the best sports league, in my opinion, in terms of peak performance and uh, durability and talent and uh, skill playing defense and offense simultaneously. These guys and their size and their agile uh, level is incredible, okay? This is the top sports league in the world, in my opinion. And imagine if they put any affirmative action in the NBA, it would it wouldn't be the top uh, league in the world anymore, would it? It would it would cease to be the best league in the world. It would quick, quickly deteriorate. This is my this is my yeah. point. You know, do you want the yeah. best perform? Do you want peak performance or do you want diversity? You know. Well, it, it's not really about diversity. That's just a weapon. You know, essentially yeah, yeah. It's, it's a construct. Weapon. It is a construct. It's the same thing that's used with gender as well. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, nobody really in their daily experience believes this or wants this or operates this way. It's a complete social engineering media construct. Yeah, this is this is the this is the times we live in, and and so it, it, I don't know it, how ridiculous can it get, Jay? How it can get even worse. It's going to get a lot worse. How? Tell me how. Like, how does it look in in uh, in Brave New World? Like, did they show any sports or any games in that book? I don't know. I don't think you have sports. Uh, well, you have certain, you have a lot of uh, entertainment. So there's perpetual entertainment, but it's it's all very. Uh, it has to not be aesthetically pleasing, right? Nothing can be pleasing. It has to always be geared towards just uh, primal sensations, right? So it's, it's okay. only about fulfilling, like, the base drives. Right. So, yeah, you might be able to, I don't know, play American Gladiators and go hit people with uh, big foam swords or something, maybe like role-playing. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so, I could, maybe, so you and LeBron could have, like, a role-playing match where you're hitting each other with big foam swords and, you know, I don't know, he could be the... Troll, or you, you know, you guys could fight it out, and dwarves versus trolls, or something. Yeah, or we can construct a big whack-a-mole sort of box device, <laughs> and I whack him on the head. Yeah, <laughs> if he pops up. Yeah, so yeah, it. it, it so that's that, that's but that's there's, the. There's, a, there, there's also a, a Twilight Zone episode that I think is very um, telling about this. In the name of the episode escapes me, but it's the one where in the future there's a beautiful woman and she's out of place because she's beautiful because everybody has been surgically uh, altered to be disgusting and they literally hunt her down because she's actually beautiful right and so this in other words the, the the point of it is that you can't achieve this perfect equality that is the goal of uh, of the cultural marxists and the uh, the corporate state it's unachievable yeah it's not achievable is what you're saying right yeah. Correct, right, and but but the pathway to that leaves a, a long trail of destruction. Yeah, people who are, who are the true believers in this. Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, I 
I think the uh, people I know that have gone to diversity training for either uh, in education or uh, in the corporate sphere or government, a lot of people work in government or quangos, go to diversity training. They come back more uh, more conscious, actually, of racial divisions and actually more... I think that's why, what it's for. Yeah, it, it, it segregates... It, 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 increases compartmentalization the whole um, because there's a little bit of brainwashing that goes on in these uh, diversity training or leadership training uh, courses that uh, are meant to be to promote diversity but what they do is they uh, it, it what does it do it, it 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 creates divisions between people the walls go up don't they absolutely yeah anybody who's had any corporate job has experienced that i've experienced it and you you, you find that this creates more tensions afterwards because then people are all hypersensitive and they're ready to report you for this or that or whatever, any little thing. And it just creates a whole new uh, alternate version of how people are going to try to get ahead, right? Oh, I'm going to, you know, rattle, tattle on you for, you know, saying something that uh, was fairly innocuous uh, if that's going to get me ahead in the corporate world. But that's what we're going towards. Mm-hmm. Well, we're already there. We're already there. Yeah, we're 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 deep into that paradigm right now. So uh, we're going to hope hope that we can uh, hit the brakes on some of this stuff and get back get back to being normal uh, in treating people like uh, like human beings and not like identity uh, identity politic uh, uh, th- things. You know, absolutely. Uh, and, and it, real quick, in, in the philosophical philosophical perspective, this is called depersonalization. So this can even be done in um, identity politics when you equate personhood with some trait, some uh, secondary quality, right? Like I have, you know, brown skin or white skin or whatever, to then identify the totality of the person with that, right? So then when that is under attack or whatever, or, or what it does is it, it creates hyper-defensive mechanisms right psychologically in people when in actual fact personhood is something that you have individually as who you are right it's not it's mm-hmm. not the it's not identified with some aspect of you mm-hmm. yeah no it's it's it is essentially who you are yeah it's the totality of you including your mind including your your soul and so forth well, my 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 zen my old uh, zen master uh told me uh, 15 years ago said that uh, society gives you a personality they, they society provides you with your personality but you provide yourself with your individuality so- yes. society can't give you individuality it's innate it's yours society gives you a personality right and so that's something i remember always remember that i agree yeah there's a there should be a balance between the one and the many uh, mm-hmm. and that's that's always Important thing to remember in philosophy. Mm, yes, the one that I've heard you talk about that in some of your other uh, lectures, the one and the many. So that seems like an important bolt in the uh, architecture. Well, so yeah, so much of uh, manipulation is done by getting you to either think that you're an atomized individual or you're a you know brainwashed member of some big collective. And the reality is that there should be kind of a balance between your individuality and your participation in whatever group or social order. Yeah, well, that's what we're trying to promote here, Jay. Right. <laughs> we're trying to promote that balance, actually. So thank you for articulating that. Um, I will bank that. But uh, thanks so much for your time, Jay, and uh, looking forward to seeing uh, your work. Uh, there's a lot of uh, exciting things coming out in the uh, cultural sphere, which I'm sure you're going to be commenting on in the next couple of months, uh, in this, especially in the, in the, in the arts 
in the film category as well. Um, Jay's analysis, great, great stop off for that subject. And you'll see some of his work on 21st Century War as well. But, uh, thanks a lot, Jay. It's been, yeah. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Actually, one, one last thing is, uh, my book, Esoteric Hollywood will be out in uh, June of 2016 and you can pre-order that at Amazon now. Oh, that's, that, that'll be a keeper. So, yeah, go ahead. That's a book I would say highly recommend. I think you're going to do very well with that book, Jay. I think I think it's going to be a must-have item for a lot of people. Sweet. Yeah, hopefully it'll be on a lot of coffee tables. Yeah, yeah. We're, we'll we'll uh, we'll get that. We'll hopefully be flogging a few copies of it on our site as well uh, when it's out there. So that'll be great. But um, I'll definitely want a copy. I want a signed copy, actually. <laughs> I want to get it autographed. I got so many books from authors, but I never got them autographed. So Patrick, with love, it's kind of frustrating, yeah. So, um, but anyway, uh, that look forward to that. That's great. That's exciting, Jay. I'm glad to hear that. That's something to look forward to in the summer, and uh, and volume two and version two and version three. I'm sure you're going to do updates. There will be 2.0 and 3.0. Yeah, absolutely. There, that book will just yeah, it writes itself. It writes itself. So uh, that'll be something to look forward to. Thank you, Robert. Robert Singer, our first guest uh, for the earlier segment from San Bernardino. That was uh, very interesting. We're going to try to learn more from Robert in the coming weeks as well. And uh, some new articles we're going to see on this subject as well. I think Sean Helton's back uh, back in the chair pretty soon. He's going to be working on that. And we've got a number of other exciting things coming up on the horizon. But in the meantime, we'll see you this time next week at the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. It's been a great one. And we'll see you back here, same time, same place, next week for another show. Take care. It's been good. All the best.